This is Bill Lark, and you're listening to the Whiskey Waffle Podcast. Tonight on Whiskey Waffle, this is an ex-whiskey. Mr. Nick was the original waffler. He taught us how to waffle. Rule one, no No bourbon. A few drinks and all of a sudden everything sounds dirty. That's this episode on Whiskey Waffle, the podcast. I mean, cast. Wafflers of the world. Welcome to the most exciting event of the year. It is the Whiskey Waffle 50th episode. Da, 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 da. Woo! 50 episodes, baby. Who'd have thought we'd get to 50? I thought we'd have been passed out under a hedge by now, but here we are, still waffling strong. My name is Ted. And my name is Nick, and this is the Whiskey Waffle Podcast, episode number 50. 50, we can be certain of that on this time. We quite regularly get them wrong. <laughs> yes. And then Nicholas has to uh, edit them in with a slightly uh, uh, electronic-sounding, um, this is episode whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yep, but 50, I think we can be pretty much guaranteed, yeah. yeah. This is our golden anniversary episode, and we're celebrating with something gold in our glass. Surely, surely it should be our amber anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. That was probably episode two. I don't know. But yes, this is indeed... We've got something golden in our glass, and um, it's, it's all... It's we. To, yeah, it's not. It's all to do with the theme of the episode, mm. and um, you might have detected the theme of the episode with the very first thing that hit your eardrums, the voice of the Godfather himself. You come into my house... And drink my whiskey. No, the the other Godfather. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> yes. So Ted and I've been catching up with Bill Lark recently and had a really good sit down conversation with him at um, for us the original Lark home. Although it has had many homes over time, but yeah, yeah we, we, d- we didn't go to uh, Bill's actual original house. No, at um, Kalara Street. Yeah, Kalara Street. Yeah, no, we um we caught up at the Lark's little door, shared a dram, and chatted with him about his memories of this business that he started, yeah, in his hallway back in those days. Yeah, well, it was actually sort of funny being back there talking talking to Bill mm. because the Lark's door in Hobart is actually kind of where our story as Whiskey Waffle really almost started. Like yeah. that's 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 our origin point. And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot today. It's a sort of reflective look back at Lark. Um, I guess more looking at the past and where it's brought us to at the present. We'll do a, a sneaky little look at the future as well. But um, yeah, that's our waffle for today. And um, there's going to be lots of Lark featured throughout the episode. So here is a little snip of what's to come. I always tell people it's one of those moments in life you've got to be careful of what you say because it just might happen. And I said to Max, well, why isn't somebody making whiskey in Tasmania? There's no doubt about it. It's not the distillery that Lynn and I started or created. Having got the license, that was so exciting. And then it dawned on us, what the hell do we do now? I said, one of my biggest fears in in getting a license to make whiskey was that I would upset the Scottish industry. And he said, what are you bastards doing in Tasmania? How can you make such good whiskeys? Something that started on our kitchen table is a company that now employs 80 people. When I got to the park, I soon realised that Max had it all worked out. He had a full bottle of Glenfiddich on the table, two glasses, big smile on his face. So we were down in Hobart catching up with Bill, but we were down in Hobart catching up with a lot of people because it's just been Taz Whiskey Week. Woo! Yeah, we had a great time. Um, we started out hosting event uh, in Burnie in our own hometown at our own home pub at Communion. Communion Brewery, owned by our friend uh, Andrew, who also 
uh, generously hosts us at his other venue, the chapel, for our whiskey nights quite often. So Indeed, but we ventured into communion and took over um, the smaller half of, of the building. And um, we did Boilermakers all night because communion, of course, is a brew pub. Indeedy it is. Now, we had some uh, pretty nice guests there that evening too. We had some legends along, to yeah. be fair. No, it was a great night. Plenty of food, plenty of drink. Um, yeah, some good boiler-making pairings. Um, and then uh, we decided to head down south. Yeah, end of the week. Now, on our way south, we passed a place called Oatlands. Mm, and uh, I think we may be calling into Oatlands a little bit more regularly in the future. Yeah, it was it was extraordinary to be honest. Mm. Uh, so Kellington the, Mill the distillery was quite good as well. Yeah, <laughs> Kellington Mill, uh, which is based uh, next to the old windmill at Oatlands, it is it is the most Scottish distillery in Tasmania, and I'd say possibly the most visitor accessible and visitor friendly. Oh, it's it's incredible. They so they've got this massive massive um, distillery floor. Which you can just walk out into and do a self-guided tour around mm. the place. They they reckon their systems are so safe that yeah, visitors can just be left to their own devices to walk around the place. I I was I still questioned a little the uh the red velvet uh, rope next to the still. Yeah, it still was quite warm to be yeah. fair. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, they they were cool with it. So mm. still managed to give the feeling of sort of didn't feel like corporate and soulless. It, uh, it's. Partly because they've just done such a beautiful mm. job with the design of it. It's, yeah, I yeah. think the design is a big part. And then we headed down south because um, we wanted to check out Lark's new bar, The Still. Yeah, that was that was soulless. Mm. Yeah, no, it certainly lacked a little bit of what we look for in a whiskey bar, which is sort of uh, a gazillion bottles that you can sit on stools and stare up at and chat with the, the staff. The, like, it was, they were very comfortable booths. It, and just, it just felt a bit sort of like uh, you had to be quite posh and dressed up and like somewhere somewhere that you'd stumble into late at night in japan or something mm. well nothing cost less than twenty dollars that's why the lark symphony was not for sale there because yeah. everything was at least twenty dollars the hellies road pinot cask was twenty dollars anyway um, we got some sleep that night yes we did but then next morning mm. we did something rather dangerous for breakfast yes um there's breakfast whiskey and then there's drinking eight heartwoods before a big <laughs> day of <laughs> well one of us was Better than the other one at that. Um, I had to drive, so True. Nicholas was in the hot seat for uh, getting his lips around all the uh, good drams. But even when you know what's coming up in the day, you don't say no to Tim when he offers you some of the oh. upcoming Heartwood releases. Absolutely. It was so good. It was oh, oh, phenomenal. Uh, yeah. That that uh, Linlark origin one that he reckons is... The best of times. The best of times that he reckons is... I think it is, is the best of times. <laughs> their best whiskey ever. Yeah. It was pretty bloody good, to I be honest. I put my name down for one, so... Also, I had a win. I got Tim to call his new uh, his new sort of barrel design he's kind of going with. These recouped barrels from 220 layers. Basically, he wants them as big as he can by salvaging the original wood, which comes yeah. to roughly between 155 and 195 litres. Yeah. They're never the same. Yeah, he's, he's just salvaging. fat his... and chunky and wobbly and yeah. not very good for stacking. And so I called them the Wombat, and it stuck. And Tim Tim is now going to call them Wombats from now on. So that's, <laughs> good that was cool. Good job, Teddy boy. Yeah, no, we had a great time there um, trying some of his upcoming wares. Yeah. Um, but then we had to um, quickly sober ourselves up and eat some kebabs because we were meeting up with a man with a surname, Lark. Indeed. Yeah, well, we'll catch up with Jack. 
No, that's yeah. not true. Jack's gone to uh, gone to London. Yeah, he's he's doing um, he's getting into the acting scene in a big way. Mm. So, um, no, <laughs> we had to we had to meet up with a a man called Bill Lark eventually. Mm, yes, he was running a little bit late. When when it got to well, see, part of the problem was we'd walked in and quite proudly told the staff at the bar um, that oh yes, we we are actually here to interview Bill Lark today, and so it kind of they kind of started giving us slightly pitying looks at about oh, 20 minutes after he was due to arrive. Um, they're like, mm, are you sure he's coming? I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, he's definitely coming. Was this he said a he story would. you were telling us just to get yeah. a free dram of classic cask office? Or? Yeah. We we gave him a quick prod via text and he was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. I was like, we're like, yeah, he definitely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but he definitely came and mm. that's what counts. Mm. He was Bill, and he was oh. so generous with his time. He was the consummate for, waffler. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A man after our own hearts, because, you know, you get him started talking about whiskey, and he will not stop. And, um, you know, that might remind you of a certain two podcasters. Yes, yes indeed. indeed. Now, he was generous enough as well to accompany us over to the Taz Spirits Showcase. Yep. Do we call it Taz Spirits Showcase? I mean, I know that's its official name, but really, do we care about the ones that are spirits? Surely we can call it the Taz Whiskey Showcase. Well, we made a very firm rule not to try any white spirit when we were there on the day and promptly broke it, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Damien. Yeah, uh, and Justin. Mm. But no, it was a fantastic event, showing up arm-on-arm arm with Bill Lark, had to swept through security. Nice yeah, and that was and, uh, great. Mm. I was being very good because I had to drive us back up northwest first thing the next morning. I was so, reasonable as well. I you you actually you you did pretty well too. I mean we we stayed out after the sh- um, showcase finished. Um, the second showcase. The we second went to show- both. We went to both. <laughs> We're like that. Um, mm. We actually went out to uh, Ian Reid's place, uh, Gold Bar, um, yep. place nearby. A uh, bunch of industry. And stayed stayed up yeah way too late talking to people. I I end like end of the night just. Talking stuff with uh, whiskey is my jam. Yeah, um, I was catching up with the, the Transwood crew. We had a good time talking with the Turner Stillhouse bunch. Yeah, um, there were some people from Adelaide that I shout out to you guys if you're listening. It was good fun. Yeah, Johnny was pretty. Oh, but he bastard. gave the best cuddles. Oh, Johnny was such a legend. Yeah, but yeah, um, but what I was going to say is because because I was being on quite good behaviour and wasn't getting rascally drunk. I, I loved um, just the amount of time I was sort of spent talking quite sensibly with all sorts of people in the industry who have got to know a bit over the years. And yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, lots of people asked me the question when I got back from the showcase, what were the highlights? What were the picks? And I was like, the people. Mm. Yeah. No, they are cool. Yeah. Speaking of people. Oh, yes. We've got some more cool people to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Patreons. Ah, Patreons. And this is really exciting because these guys are the lifeblood that keep us going, that are able to make sure that we can have unlimited upload space on the internet. And um, yeah, the reason that we're here 50 episodes later. Mm. And um, yeah, so big thanks to all of our current Patreons and an exciting thanks to our new ones. I'm going to kick off with a very special Patreon that we've mentioned before. Well, we mentioned him quite a lot, but we've never mentioned him as an official waffler. But he is now. And his name is Terence. <gasps> the no. robot. What? Of <gasps> Ultimate no. Doom. No, Terence. 
Please don't destroy us. <laughs> no, he's on our side now. He's, he's, he's side. part of our squad. Yeah, he is. And he was certainly part of our squad for a while at the showcase. We had a good fun hanging out with Joel. Um, he's always been a Fence Club member, but now he's upgraded to Drinking Buddy. So that also makes him an official waffler. So we need to do a bit of an induction. But before we do that, there's also someone else to induct. Yes, we have a, another new uh, Drinking Buddy. So Chris Green, um, one of our West Australian cousins, has joined up pretty passionate about things actually it was it was really cool he was he was telling me the story i mean it's got a slightly uh sad sad bit in it too but um so he he was first introduced to whiskey by um his uncle who unfortunately passed away but they he found in his uncle's uh roof five bottles of octomore what five bottles yeah that that's that's incredible like in his roof yeah just like through the little manhole, <laughs> oh, yeah. stashed away in a rat's nest somewhere. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Save those ones. So uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, he wasn't able to share him with his uncle. Yeah. Um, but that what a, what a way to yeah get into it. Like mm. incredible. Nice one. All right. Well, I think we'd better get inducting. We induct you as an official waffler to pontificate purposefully and verbalize verbosely. T-Troud, Chris Green. Yay! Welcome aboard, team. We've got a lot of cool stuff heading out for you. It's a little bit late getting our stuff out this month, so not only is our review whiskey coming out, and we'll send you next month's as well, because that's only a few weeks in the future, we're sending out a bonus dram to our new patrons, to all our patrons, um, something special that I picked up today, and Ted doesn't know what it is yet. Well, That'll, that'll come later in the episode. Right then, I think it's about time we got on to our waffle topic. We're not going to waffle for too long tonight because we're going to leave a lot of the talking up to Bill, but we are celebrating 30 years of Lark, and we're going to reflect on our own experiences with that wonderful distillery over the years. The Waffle. We are waffling in celebration of 30 years of Lark, and by extension, 30 years of Tasmanian whiskey at least the modern scene and um whatever you think about the modern state of lark no doubt that it is the most crucial development in the development of not just tasmania scene but the whole countries mm. but it's also very crucial in whiskey waffles development as well yeah we mentioned in the intro that lark kind of set us on the path to being whiskey waffle i mean it didn't bring us together as uh, Nick and Nick and Ted, because <laughs> that happened a little while previously. To that, that. that that happened an awful long time previously mm. to that. So we, we'd already been, um, yeah, waffling to each other, not about whiskey for many years. But mm. so Nick Cordo, who is a, another one of our patreons, yeah, um, recent recent one, um, recent acquisition yeah. part of the team, and yeah, one of the OG Lark boys. Yeah. So we. One day, for some reason, I think you know you know why we decided to go in part. I'm pretty sure you had a voucher. Yeah, we had one of those entertainment books you get, which like it's got meant to have all these wonderful vouchers that you can use at all sorts of different places, and mm. that you never actually end up <laughs> doing. Um, so that was the catalyst. Yeah, because I also remember we left the bloody book in the car. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, but we still made it to Lark for a 45 minute. Tasting experience. Yeah. Was this? Was this? This was after university, wasn't it? Was it was about 2012. Yeah, I think. I think we Nick and I returned back up the coast break. after uh, uni. 
Mm. And we'd gone down and I think, yeah, Cordo must have been interested in going for a drink as well. We, we'd sort of had some, started to have a couple of formative experiences around whiskey. We'd, we'd certainly had Lagavulin at this stage. Yeah, that that was probably what had partly triggered our uh, new interest in it. Mm. And we were monkey shoulder fans. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, as as my colleague just said, we rocked up to the Lark uh, Celador. Um, had booked ourselves in for a 45-minute tasting um, experience that it wasn't the one where you actually get to go in the drambulance and go out to... I don't know if, know if they had the drambulance then. Mm, but possibly not. I, I, know that, I know that they did do um, some bigger, like... Yeah, like one day, two, two days, days sort of things. So things that which Bill Lark himself, I think, was yeah. part of. But the other person that did it was a guide for the day. Yeah. Mr. Mark Nicholson. Well, see, this is the thing. Like, we were meant to get some just faceless sort of lackey who was there to sort of go, oh, yes, Lark is a great thing and you should drink it lots. Yep. Here is some whiskey. It tastes like insert tasty notes. Yeah. No, instead, we had this really interesting guy called Mark Nicholson. <laughs> yep. Um, used to doing multiple day tours. Used Like, Mr. Nick, as we, we call him, was the original waffler, really. Yeah. He it, taught us how to waffle. Well, he, he, he is a natural raconteur. Indeed. So the 45-minute tour turned into a three-hour tour where he kept bringing down new bottles off the shelf and said, well, if you like that one, try this one. Glug, glug, glug. Would you guys like a beer? I'll get you a beer. I'm like, oh, I don't really like beer. That's okay. Just have some more cask strength. We've got a rum. Did you know we've got a rum? Here, Ooh. try this. Yeah, thanks very much. Don't mind if I do. Uh, it was an absolutely formative experience, and naturally we loved it. I, that, I think that's the most tanked we'd ever got a whiskey, to be honest. I I tried to buy a uh, cask strength, but actually ended up coming away with a classic cask and a distiller's edition. Yeah, so and I the, got the distiller's as well, because the distiller's absolutely... It's the, it's the first time we ever came across the magic number. 46. 46%. It, it, there's something about 46% in whiskey that just, oh, it's it's such a good balance between just flavor and that bit of strength to boost it up a bit. Indeed. That's where whiskey should start. Yeah. And so we, ha- we had such a good experience off that. And um, we were converts, right? From yeah. there and then. Like, we loved it. And the bottles that we took home with us, we... we Showed to our friends, we had it whiskey nights, or wank nights as we called it, the um, <clears throat> Whiskey Appreciation and Nosing Collective. Yeah. We drank those bottles. We did. God damn it. Yeah. What did we do that for? Mm, I know. Because they tasted bloody good, I think, mm. is the reason for that. So we were we were converts, and we have always liked it. There's certainly, you know, no matter what's uh, changed with Lark over the years, we've never really, you know, thought their whiskey was repulsive and undrinkable mm. um, I think the pricing is perhaps getting that's, a bit that's one of the things that yeah I find I find really tough to deal with because I'm actually someone that actually does enjoy the symphony number no. one mm. it's just about $30 too expensive yeah and then and then these days the classic just mm. the, the normal base one which is the normal base classic lark is still that delicate light breakfast whiskey yep and it's still got that key flavour that we talk about with like oranges oranges yeah mm. yeah no it's it's still it's still there like the classic car still has a lot of similarities to that one that we tried back then but yeah it's just getting a bit more hard to access which is which is a real shame mm. um, having said that they continue to be an industry leader they continue to really I guess lead the way in terms of marketing and visibility in well, terms of a name yeah they, they, I suppose 
because they're a corporate entity now and they're a publicly listed company, they've sort of got goals. I, I, I don't think some of the distillers out there really have goals beyond just tinkering about and making whiskey that they they sort of enjoy themselves. And Whereas Lark has a mission. It has a business plan. Certainly. It has a business plan and it's got a mission to become basically, they, they want to become the uh, Penfolds of Australian whiskey. Don't see anyone else doing it. Yeah. So it, it's certainly a much evolved beast to what it used to be. I mean, the uh, some of the corporate structure is interesting. Um, the mm. the thing the things that they like to uh, partake <laughs> in. Indeed, each to their own. Yeah, it's it's certainly um it's certainly come a long way since those very early days. That you're going to hear a bit about later in the episode. But before we get there, to wrap things up on this sort of thoughts of where Lark's at at the current stage, who better to consult? than the man himself. This is Ted asking Bill about his thoughts about the current direction of the business. Lark's grown from your early days and since it changed hands and has evolved, it's grown massively um, in the last few years and now is, I suppose, the house of Lark. Um, What's your thoughts on the modern direction of the company? Yeah, look, there's no doubt about it. It's not the distillery that Lynn and I started or created. But um, I look now, and, and, and it's a difficult thing to let go of something that you've created in the way you wanted it to be, mm-hmm. to see it change. But it's inevitable that it would have done and did do. But I look there today and see that Lark is now employing 80 people. So there are 80 families out there, 80 people and their families, earning their living from Lark Distillery. I can put my hand on my heart and say, every release that Lark has put out under the House of Lark banner I know there's been some controversy around that but um, we can get to that in a minute if you like but every product that they've released I can put my hand on my heart and say it's fantastic and I'm really happy and proud to be their brand ambassador so uh, you know it's um, I think it's exciting times that you know something that started on our kitchen table is a company that now employs 80 people yeah and that's just directly let alone indirectly and all the people all the businesses required to supply barrels and things to the, the distillery um i think it's a wonderful thing i i can't believe that we've created this thing that will be you know bigger and better than lynn and i could have ever done on our own yeah mm. so i suppose you just touched on it before um but it'll be interesting to address so there has been a little bit of controversy controversy has there in the in, in the modern era about the house of luck um is it a case of tall poppy syndrome? What's what's your thoughts on that? I, I think poppy. it's possibly a little bit of tall poppy syndrome or just the fact that we were changing, as inevitably Australians do, from a traditional way of doing things some in some other jurisdiction to what we're doing in Australia. And Lynn and I would have always loved to have done single cask, single malt releases. But the reality is, the practical reality is, when you get to be as big as Lark, it's impossible to release everything as single cask releases because we were not we weren't chill filtering we were releasing a cask breaking it down and then letting it settle for six to eight weeks well you can imagine uh, if you've got um, 40 or 50 barrels that you're wanting to release in your next single cask release or your next releases which we needed you'd have to have all these vats sitting around (laughs) it was impossible to do so you needed to start marrying barrels and when you start marrying barrels we're starting to change our direction anyway and then 
throughout a whole lot of weird circumstances. Um, Casey Overeem got crook and decided he wanted to sell his distillery and he came to us because we were making his wash for him. Um, and so we, Lark took that on, or the company Lark took that on. So Lark now had access to another single malt whiskey apart from its own. And then through really weird circumstances, and I'm not 100% sure we should have done it, but we, we tried to save the Nant distillery after the financial debacle of the previous owner. Um, that came with a whole heap of baggage, which was difficult to deal with. But the intention was to save that distillery, which it's done, but it now had access to some whiskey from that distillery. So an opportunity arose. Um, you know, the company needed more uh, products and um, greater volumes of whiskey. So something I that happened that I would never have dreamed could happen is we could start producing a marriage or a vatted malt. And I guess that's, I shouldn't say the word controversy, but that's where some people started saying, oh, this is a bit different. But it's no different. To, I mean, I can remember buying single malt whiskies in Scotland that were called Six Isles, and they were six single malt whiskies married together. Um, so we were just doing the same sort of thing. I think there was a bit of concern about you know, some people thought, oh, well, now we don't know what we're drinking. Is it Lark or is it not? But it, it was never hidden. It always said on the bottle, this is a blend of single malt whiskies. Um, it just took the consumer a little while to sort of get their head around the fact that we're able to do that now in Tasmania. So I think all that settled down and people love the product, the yeah. blend of malts. It's a really good drink. Um, and I think they've sort of overcome that, you know, what is it? Well, I think Lark's just heading in a different direction to what Lynn and I had it. And it's a reflection of the modern market. It's a reflection of the fact that as Australians, we're not constrained by tradition. We can be a bit innovative. We can be a bit daring and we're doing that, but to great success. So how can I sit there and say we shouldn't be doing it when sales are going through the roof we're employing more and more people great people it's it's a it's a terrific thing thanks bill yeah and um just wait until you hear some of the early stories and some of the the really um important stuff back in the day that's all coming up in waffling with later on in the episode you get some more bill lark now just just to put the uh bit of the spruik out here so what's in our uh, official 50th episode here is excerpts from that interview because obviously we've got other stuff to talk about. We can't put the whole thing in. But our patrons, they already have uh, received the full interview with Bill Lark as as they do for the other interviews as well. If, if, that, uh, if you want to hear the full interview, yeah, jump on the Patreon and sign up. You, you can access it at the Faints Club level. Or above. Or above, so... Mm. Yep. Uh, very good. Well, in that case, Ted, I think it's time that we moved on to our whiskey review. And um, three guesses as to what distillery we're reviewing today. Um, Nant. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Well, actually. This is our, our silver anniversary episode. Indeed. And we're celebrating... That's not true. This is... <laughs> which, which, which anniversary? The Whiskey. Nicholas, let us review. Yeah, let's get reviewing and um, surprised to no one that today we're reviewing a Lark whiskey. Um, but which no. one? That is the question. Shock. Yeah, I know. Which one though? Which one? Well, there is so many to choose from these days. Well, they do all these special releases. The unfortunate thing is they do cost so much. I just, I just don't jump in. But for the Patreons, we've gone out all out. We have for you Lark Mizanara cask. <laughs> Uh, at, no, at, at, a, at a mere 
one thousand and something bucks. Yes, no, we didn't. We didn't spend um, you know three years worth of Patreon money in one go. <laughs> um, no, but we did actually go out and spend a little bit. So this is a bit of a special one. Even so, it's not Mizunara, but this one is, I guess, as good to celebrate the anniversary of Lark as any. It's called Lark Origins, and there's a bit of marketing gumph that comes with it. Uh, but what what good whiskey doesn't come with a bit of well, marketing exactly, gumph? Well, exactly, and this is as good as it comes. So they tell the story of Bill's epiphany on the lakes, which we're going to hear a bit more about later. Um, but then they say this, crafted with the water from this very lake. <gasps> So basically, this is a a whiskey that is cut down, or I don't know. They probably put a few eyedroppers worth of um, yeah, one of Lake one, Sorrel. Yeah, one drop per vat. Yeah, homeopathic Lake yeah. Sorrel in the <laughs> bottles. I don't know. It's um, but that's that's what they marketed as anyway. But there's a lovely picture on the front of the lake, um, and a man fly fishing in it. I'm pretty sure that did Bill like fly fish or was he in a boat? I feel like they're in a boat. I always picture them being in a boat, like drinking whiskey in the boat. But um, having chatted with Bill Lark now, we found out that it was in a park in Bothwell mm. that that whiskey was consumed. So who knows? Maybe it was a bit of fly fishing. But there's definitely a picture of a lake on the front. Yeah. Well, see, I, I want to think that this is like um, sort of the Lady of the Lake yeah. sort of rose her hand up through the surface. Clad and cl- glistening samite. Yes! <laughs> With holding a, uh, holding, well, probably wasn't a Glen Cairn back in those days. That didn't exist. <laughs> holding a, Tumblr aloft. Uh, holding yeah. Tumblr aloft. Yeah, listen, mate. Um, strange birds lying in ponds distributing drams. There's no way for a system of Tasmania whiskey industry. But Oh, I was just literally thinking about that. So good. I'm so glad you <laughs> came through with it. Yeah, but here we are. This is the whiskey that represents that. And interestingly, we were trying some of the Whiskey Club 30th celebration earlier tonight. Um, and now we're reviewing the official Lark celebration release. Mm. The color is a lot darker on this, even though the percentage is a lot lower. Mm. This is only 42%. It's all the tannin in the lake. Yeah, it must be. Well, who knows? They say that the color from Hillwood comes from the water that they use in the Tima. This, this is true. So you never know. Uh, does it have any other stats? So we know this is a uh, 42, 3? Uh, 42%. 42%. Yeah. Yep. No, that's that's literally all we know. It doesn't say barrel types. Um, it's all about the marketing. I do know that someone <clears throat> sat on the bottle, like most of the other like releases. Yep, it's very flat. Let's 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 uh, digress slightly here. What's your feeling on the flat lark bottle, Nicholas? Well, I do like the look of them, and I always have. Um, they were just bringing that out when we did our first trip to mm. Lark. Um, they were sort of moving on from their rounder bottles, and yeah, obviously other people thought the same way as me because they've continued with this exclusively. But it is a bit dangerous. Yeah, they do have one fatal design flaw to them. Yes, if you if you have a few of them on a shelf. Yeah, they they act a bit like dominoes. Yes, who do not knock down the first one in a row. Because oh, <laughs> then you lose your entire collection in one go. Yeah. Yep. No, well, this one here, there's, there's not too much special in terms of the way it's produced, but it is there anniversary release so it is good to be able to try it's 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 almost kind of the classic cask yeah well i suppose if you think about it like that um what do you get on the nose um i mean there is oranges there probably orange blossom but pears too yeah interestingly i'm getting chocolate but it's not quite dark chocolate it's like a milk chocolate sort of thing yep bit of honey bit of vanilla bit of uh like Sorel. Yeah. Brown trout. <laughs> I hope there's not brown <laughs> trouts. There aren't any more. Um, no, it's um, 
it's toffee enough or fudgy enough, I suppose. Mm. English toffee. I'm going to go over that. Yeah, on the palate. It, so the palate has that sort of light, soft, light characters. It, it's delicate on the mouth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Pleasingly, though, it does linger. Mm. Um, I was worried that it might be a bit short, but flavor-wise, it does, it does linger, which is nice. I've jumped straight to the finish. I should have uh, talked about the palate for a while, but um, mm. I think no. I think there's a bit of burnt caramel yeah. stuff going on. I think on. it's just like I was saying English toffee before, but this is just mm. like when you melt sugar on a stove and make stuff that goes on profiteroles. Really, toffee, toffee, toffee. Yeah, is it breakfast whiskey? I don't think it is breakfast whiskey. It's possibly after dinner whiskey. Yeah, I feel like it's got a bit too much of that burnt sugar, caramelly sort of stuff going on mm. there. I think. I think it's gone a bit too far in that direction to be that proper like breakfast whiskey, which needs to be more s- a bit softer and smoother and have that really orangey mm. light. I think it would hold up quite well to desserts though, or like um, cakes and snacks and things. You know, when some people have a uh, coffee after with dessert, I'd have this whiskey. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not sweet per se, but it's it's full bodied enough that mm. yeah, th- there are sugary flavors to it. Yeah. Don't hate it. Don't hate it. Mm. Certainly don't hate it. And and Bill just mentioned earlier on in the episode that there's never been a like release that he hasn't been really happy mm. with and, and, and proud of. And I can see where he's coming from because I don't think they put out a bad release. I don't think there's yeah. a bad whiskey or, that comes although out. Although some people talk pretty dark. I've, I have don't think I've ever actually had it, but some people talk pretty darkly about that Kinotto release. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I tried that one. This is the Italian dessert one. Yeah, I've I've heard some mutterings about that, which yeah, haven't been probably also people that paid positive. you know two hundred and eighty bucks for it. So yeah, I see that that stings. Doesn't a bit. help, does it? Yeah. So um, maybe because you know we lashed out on this one as a bit of a, a treat, a bit of a celebration that there's no expectation, but there's also no yeah, we're not going to be disappointed either. So yeah, look, I think I think I'm I'm enjoying it. I think I am too. I don't think it's going to set the world on fire. I don't think it's the best release that Lark has ever put out there. I don't think it's the best Tasmanian whiskey out there. But that certainly doesn't prevent it from being a wholly competent and delicious Tasmanian whiskey. Um, To that end, I think I'm just going to go with a very solid middle-of-the-road three stars for this. Yeah, I'm going to go three stars too. And um, just to wrap things up, Ted, you've got a little bit of the 30th Mm. anniversary left in the glass. It might be interesting going back to that Let's see what Birdie's uh, palate. Mm. And it's definitely different on the nose. It's also, so this 30th from from the Whiskey Club is uh, 52% thereabouts whiskey. So it's going to have a a stronger palate, but it's also got a... I'd say it's the the 30th um the whiskey club 30th one is a lot sharper a lot it's got more sort of candied mm. notes in there yeah yeah sort of a, a sherbetty sort of citrusy nose to be honest I actually think I almost prefer the origins I think it's I think it's a bit better balanced I think the the 30th anniversary whiskey club one is is a bit spiky in places that mm. that 52.5% just gets up your nose a bit yeah I'm absolutely with you, actually. It's funny how these things put things into context, isn't yeah. it? It's like, and um, I, I would absolutely say the origin is, is the classier whiskey. The um, the the whiskey club one is possibly more classic, although not quite. I mean, who knows? Maybe we've um, the memory cheats in in the sense that we've smoothed everything out in our mind. Maybe some of the original larks were quite spiky as well. But yeah, I definitely think there's oranges are plenty in the whiskey club. 
but the Origins is a more classy, elegant whiskey. So all our Patreons are going to be receiving some Origins this month, and our tasting panelists are going to be receiving the Whiskey Club one as well. So you can do what we've done and taste them side by side. Indeed. The tasting panelists will also be receiving another lark, a very special lark, um, which I've actually written about before. So look out for that one too. It's, uh, yeah, pretty interesting and special drop. Yeah, so Ted's going all out for a tasting panelist this month. Basically, maybe not objectively, but I'd say subjectively, Ted's best whiskey. That's what you can get at our top, well, our second top level of Patreon. Um, you get the good stuff there. You know who else is coming? Uh, Pope Benedict. Close. No. The, the cynical, cynical Scott. Scott. Hey. Waffle, waffle, waffle in with. G'day folks, today on Waffling With, we are at the Lark Cellador in Hobart with the godfather of Tasmanian whiskey himself, Mr. Bill Lark. G'day Bill, thanks for having us along, how are you going? Yeah, good Ted, Nick, yourselves? Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, good on you. And here we are in the, the Lark Cellador, it's, it must be a, a fairly formative place, it certainly is for the whiskey waffle, but from your own perspective, this is like the, the home of Lark these days, or the original home, or not quite? Not quite the original, but a very important home for us. This is where we really established ourselves as a, a, a vital part of the industry and an important part of the Hobart community. Yeah. And, um, of course, these days, Lark is, is a global phenomenon. It's an industry leader. It's such a big thing. Did you ever imagine what it would become when you were distilling in your hallway? Uh, no, we certainly couldn't imagine that we'd end up like this. In fact, we promised ourselves it wouldn't. Um, <laughs> Lynn and I decided we simply wanted to see if it was possible to make a good single malt whiskey in Tasmania. I was involved in a pub in the ski field at Ben Lomond with three other mates in our families and I had a very busy surveying practice and we were partners in a farm down the hill. So Lynn said, let's see if we can make whiskey. I promise me we won't start another business. <laughs> so I guess we failed the first line of our business plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so obviously we're quite familiar with the sort of the, uh, the traditional origin story, the epiphany on the lakes, but some of our listeners might not be. So can you just, yeah, tell us a bit more about, yeah, that whole backstory to Lark? Sure, yeah, I'm... I'm surprised there's anybody left in the world that hasn't heard it, but <laughs> I always tell people it's one of those moments in life you've got to be careful of what you say because it just might happen. And that's kind of how this started. And it was on a fishing trip up in the highlands of Tasmania, having caught a really beautiful four-pound brown trout that you could back in those days catch from Lake Sorrel. Max thought it would be a good idea to barbecue it in the park in Bothell, beautiful little old town up in the highlands. Um, so we did. We went into town, found a barbecue... I went down to phone Lynn and Margaret to see if they'd join us while Max set up the barbecue. On my way back, thinking, what are we going to do now for the next hour and a half? When I got to the park, I soon realised that Max had it all worked out. He had a full bottle of Glenfiddich on the table, two glasses, big <laughs> smile on his face, and he knew exactly what we were going to do. And the fact that we would now have two cars and two drivers <laughs> didn't hurt. <laughs> so it was one of those things, we just sat around drinking whiskey and, you know, reflecting on the fact that Tasmania obviously had very good water, um, our barley must be good because Bogues and Cascade beer was being exported all over the world at that stage, and um, we just thought the climate must be okay, and I said to Max, well, why isn't somebody making whiskey in Tasmania? Mm. Lynn had arrived and she sort of walked up behind and heard me say that, and she said, um, look, I don't know, but why don't we give it a go? And that's how it started. Well, that's how the idea started. But, you know, of course, it could have all died there like many 
brilliant ideas and yeah. light bulb moments or, or epiphanies. Um, but a lot of things just started to happen. Um, and it, these things happen in, a, in an island community. I sort of got swept up in a wave of enthusiasm mm. from people that wanted to see if we could make whiskey. Um, everywhere I went and I, I, I'd talk about it with somebody, they'd say to me, well, why don't you go and talk to so-and-so that worked in a distillery in Scotland? Yeah. I'd go and see that person and old Fred would open a bottle of whiskey and we'd sit and I'd hear his stories and at the end of it, well, you should go and talk to my son who worked for a company that made stills and he opened a bottle of whiskey and we talked about it and on it went like that. Really just um, making those connections, joining yeah. the dots. Yeah, and... Um, you know, again, it could have just that could have just been exciting and interesting, and I could have just shared a few nice dreams with people. Yeah. But one night, uh, my mother-in-law was reading out an auction notice, and she noticed there was a copper pot whiskey still. And I said, "Well, come on, Margaret, we're going to that auction. We're going to buy it." And I picked it up for sixty-five dollars. So <laughs> now I had a little, a little, an antique whiskey still, only a wee little thing. But I thought, well, okay, we've talked about it. Why not give it a go? And but then I, you know, had to find out how do you make whiskey. <laughs> you know, in those days, you couldn't just jump on the internet. And so mm. this is in the late '80s. You couldn't just mm. search it. So I just started uh, hounding the bookshops and discovered um, there were a few nice coffee book tables written by Charles McLean and those sort of people, David Brew, and they always had a little section on how to make whiskey. And so from that, I understood I needed malted barley, yeast, and water, of course, and I needed to make a beer without hops. And I thought, well, I'm not a brewer, so I just went up to see Cascade and. Um, they were wonderful, they were so excited to think somebody wanted to make whiskey, they stopped their production run of whatever it was they were producing, filled up a vat for me, gave me some yeast, sent me home, told me what to do, yep. fermented out, yeah. put it through the still and look, I don't know, but I remember <laughs> thinking, oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice one. Have you always been a, a, a whiskey fan or was it something you sort of more drunk to appease the father-in-law? Or? Yeah, look, I, I was interest, certainly introduced to it through my father-in-law. Yep. Um, he uh, had some Scottish ancestry about him and uh, I think for Max it was more about getting away from mowing the lawns and doing the housework yeah. um, and going up the lakes and he enjoyed the fishing but he always bought a bottle of whiskey with him and yeah. we would stop for morning tea and have a cup of tea and a whiskey and yeah. um, you know stop and have a dram afterwards and that was about the extent of my knowledge of whiskey yeah. um, and in those days really it was at the very early start of the modern day single malt category that we know. Back then um, it was, I wouldn't say a novelty, but it was it was something you, you you know, it was an expensive item and you wanted to share with good friends and so yeah, it was a nice thing to do with my father-in-law. Mm, absolutely. How about getting the law changed? Like that was a, that must have been an ordeal. Was there, um, yeah, was there scepticism? Was there excitement? There, there was certainly was um, no scepticism. There was um, excitement yeah. um, and then disappointment from the uh, customs people. Yeah, okay. when, when I went in to s see them and tell them I wanted to get a license to make whiskey, they made me a cup of tea and they got the old distillation act of 1901 off the shelf and we started reading through it. And honestly, they were so excited yeah. until we got to section 11, I think it was, that said there still had to be of a certain size, which today doesn't seem frightening, but for me, yeah. um, it, it was sort of way too big because I didn't know what I was doing. And you couldn't get your license, then build the still or have a distillery made. You had to complete your distillery and then apply for your license. So and I said, well, look, I don't even know what I'm doing yet. I'm not going to do that. I said, is there an experimental license or a, is there an exception or something? We went through the entire act and they were they were more disappointed than me, I think, and said, yeah, right. I'm sorry, Bill. Um, we can't 
give you a licence. And so I said, oh, look, fair enough. I said, we've had a bit of fun. Uh, went home and I said to Lynn, why don't, you know, we better pack the still up and that's it. And then again, you know, Tasmania's an amazing place and just walking through Hobart, I walked past the office of our local federal member one day, Duncan Kerr. I didn't know him, but I thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll just go and tell him what the problem is. Discovered that he loved whiskey <laughs> and um, he said, we've got to do something about this bill and he got on the phone to Barry Jones in Canberra. Barry was then the Minister for Customs, Science and Small Business, who loved whiskey. Yeah, he helps. said, and the letters yeah. are on the wall just around the corner. Yeah, yeah, um, we were looking at them just before. And he said, send me a letter, and Duncan did, and he responded to Duncan, and he said, and in the meantime, tell Bill to go and apply for his licence, and I'll amend the legislation yeah, to allow yeah. small distillation. Yeah. Now, people often say, like you did, um, uh, how hard was it, or did you have to fight to change the legislation? I would have had to fight not to change it. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much support from within the community, Cascade Brewery, politicians. Mm. Everywhere I went, people wanted to see if we could make whiskey. All it took was someone to yeah. ask the question. Yeah, I know, and it surprises me to this day that nobody had done it earlier, but I guess it was the thought that you really had to build a big distillery first before you could apply for a licence that put people off. Well, I suppose, so where did you actually learn to do that then? So you said before that you, you're just a passing passing interest in whiskey, just drinking with a father-in-law. How did you actually sort of go from just being a casual observer? And this is, as you say, back in the days where there was nothing in Tasmania. You couldn't just uh, go to Bill Lark and ask him uh, for yeah, advice. <laughs> that's it. So where did you learn? Well, you're dead right. And, and having got the licence, that was so exciting. And then it dawned on us, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> and while we were stewing over that, just by chance, it was 10 o'clock at night, the phone rang. And I think, oh, hello, Bill Lark here. And he goes, oh, hello, Bill, it's John Grant from the Glen Farkless Distillery. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hello, John, how can I help you? And, and he said, no, no, Bill, he said, I've heard from our distributor in Hobart that you've got a license to make whiskey. Would you let me help you make good whiskey? So I'm wow. like, John, you've got no idea how pleased I am. That's amazing. Like, <laughs> and it wasn't. I said, look, I'm... Uh, I said one of my biggest fears in, in getting a license to make whiskey was that I would upset the Scottish industry because I'm only doing this because I really love mm. my Scottish malts that I've had access to and I don't want to upset your industry having you think you stupid colonials out there what are you doing um, and here you are offering to help me and he said well Bill look if somebody comes to your distillery and it's their first experience he said I'd like it to be a good experience mm. because then they'll go on to explore the bigger industry and I guess here we are sitting in Whiskey Week in Tasmania. Well, exactly. And it's ex- exactly exhibit A and exhibit B right here. <laughs> so, like, we sat on the phone for an hour and a half and he we talked about many, many issues of barrels, small barrels, um, running the still. And and, uh, and then I had his contact and his offer was, give me a call any time. And mm. uh, so that's how I learnt by uh, just continually um, now... Uh, getting small batches of wash um, and running them through the still, phoning John Grant in Scotland if I, what the hell's going on, John? Yeah. And, and we just did that for probably four years before we were sort of game to sort of get it a little bit serious about That's it. That's a bloody good resource to have on hand, though. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, and, I mean, they really 
Uh, this is, and I really want to make the point that we need to acknowledge the help that this industry in Australia has had from Scotland. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't be here today without that help. Yeah, very good. Now, I had a question, a really important question I wanted to ask is I wanted to ask you about Lynn's influence in the, the first you know, 10, 15, 20 years of Lark's life in terms of the product development and refinement. So, because often she's sort of behind the scenes, but I know she's such an integral figure. So can you tell us about Lynn's influence? Yeah, oh, look, we, I wouldn't be here today without Lynn's involvement in this business. And she does tend to hide behind the scenes. Um, she doesn't like media attention and all that she's um you know very modest and unassuming and but let me tell you we wouldn't be here today because i was just still only interested in seeing if we could make whiskey um and lynn was kind of keen because while i was playing with whiskey she now had access to a still where she could make gin and she wanted to make a gin and um lynn got really caught up in the, the botanical distillation side of things um and in searching for a botanical for her gin she wanted to use something native and she'd been encouraged by the lady that set up the taste of Tasmania Catherine Brees to use the Tasmania native pepperberry as a botanical and uh, Lynn took it home and she distilling it and she was distilling it and phoned me up and said Bill you better come home and I thought oh don't tell me you're blowing the still up what's wrong she said no you better come home and have a look at this spirit coming out of the still and it was um, the spirit from the pepperberry as if you were making a gin made the same way, but just the one botanical, the pepperberry, and it was such a rich herbal and aromatic spirit. She said, I think I can do something with this as well as the gin. And she made a product, it took her about six months to develop it, called Bush Liqueur. And whilst we'd still promised ourselves we weren't going to start a business, (laughs) by that stage we realised that it actually costs money to put barrels of whiskey down. Um, And we were determined not to put any of more of our own money in and so um, we decided we needed to sell something to create a cash flow to put the whiskey down so we bottled up the bush liqueur and, and of all things we took it to a craft fair at Deloraine in 1996 that weekend we sold twelve thousand dollars worth of bush liqueur I think and we're like wow this is sensational <laughs> um, and that gave us the cash to now put into whiskey yep. uh, but we thought we would make some more of that and Lynn took it to the taste of Tasmania that year in 1996 a journalist from the Sydney Morning Herald was there tasted it fell in love with it went back wrote a half page story in the Good Living Guide in the Sydney Morning Herald and that day the phone just started ringing from all over Australia people wanting to taste Australia's first native spirit yep and it just went gangbusters and um, people were turning up at our house which is where our still was from all over the country wanting to buy bush liqueur and look at Lark Distillery and it was just getting out of hand we you know we'd be having dinner and the kids are fighting and the dogs eating the cat and, and then some bloke knocks on the door oh, hello I've come to see the Lark Distillery so in 1997 we decided to move out of home and move into some commercial premises and that I guess changed our lives but uh, look none of that would have happened if Lynn hadn't developed the bush liqueur and having done that she went on to make a gin we we opened the cellar door to get it out of the house I guess more than anything and Lynn was running the cellar door I was still surveying at the time Um, and Lynn just started developing all these other product lines and so by the time we moved our cellar door into these premises we're sitting here in now we had about 11 products, 10 of which Lynn developed yeah. um, and was really the, the, the thing that gave us the cash flow to continue on in whiskey. So back in the early days, did it take much convincing to get people to try, I suppose, 
you said that there was quite a good response to the other spirits. What about the whiskey? Were people a bit hesitant about it? When you were developing it, did you think sometimes, hmm, is this going to work? Did you have to sort of tip any down the sink or redistill it? Yeah, look, it's very easy to talk yourself into thinking what you've made's pretty damn good. But the, as you, you're right, I was worried. What are the bloody consumers going to think about this? You know, um, we think it's okay. So we very nervously released our first whiskey in 1998 at our cellar door at Richmond. And I remember, and we didn't have a lot, but not long after we launched and released it, all our friends bought a bottle and we thought, yeah, well, they're just being polite and nice and everything else. <laughs> but then a Scottish bloke came into the distillery one day and he says, oh, what is it you're doing in here? You're not be making whiskey, would you? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, so we are. And he said, oh, you better give me a taste. And I remember saying to him, well, I'm sorry, sir, I've only got a small amount. I can't give you a taste. I can sell you a taste for $3. Oh, he went crook, $3. <laughs> anyway, he reached into his pocket and got out his $3 and said, well, I'll buy a taste. He bought a tar, filled up his glass for him on taste, and um, he took one sip and went straight to the door of the cellar. Oh, and I thought, oh, God, he's going to spit it out. Instead, he yelled out, hey, Mary, guess what? They make whiskey in here, and it's not bad. <laughs> and he came back in and bought three bottles. Yeah, And I thought, a... now, okay, <laughs> I think we're on the right track. That's a ringing endorsement from the Scotsman. It was. Yeah, so absolutely. that gave us the confidence to keep going, I suppose, with the whiskey. And it just slowly, slowly grew from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So were there any, um, in that first sort of uh, 15 or so years, were there any like big decisions, any sort of sliding door moments that you think really set you on the path to the way things ended up? Or if you'd made a different decision, it could have gone a completely different way? Could the Tasmanian whiskey industry look completely different just from one of those very early decisions to what it is now? Yeah, like I suspect a lot of the small craft distilleries, and you've got to, we've got to face it, the backbone of our modern industry today has been based on craft distillation and craft distillers we've got a lot to thank for that and they will continue to be a vital part of our industry going forward no matter how big some of the distilleries get i'm not i'm excited about that but i'm also excited for the craft distiller that wants to stay a craft distiller their future i think is very secure and sound but like people starting out lynn and i promised ourselves we weren't going to start a business and we weren't going to put any money into it and um we built up the Lark Distillery from 1992 for 21 years on cash flow alone. Yeah. No overdraft, no borrowings, cash flow alone. And um, that's pretty scary and nail-bitingly <laughs> tricky. Yeah. And there was a time, I think, um, after about eight years where we sat down, Lynn and I, and we said to ourselves, um, at that stage I still had a part, to, I was still involved with the surveying practice and we, had, we could go one of two ways. We could close the door or I could sell my distillery, uh, my survey practice and um, sell the pub on Milliman and devote our lives and future to distilling. And um, luckily we took the decision to continue on. But it was either because the cash flow required to build up the stocks that we were now realising we had to, to put down was enormous. And um, it required both Lynn and myself to work in the distillery and um, bring on staff and the commitment to that's Quite enormous. So for us, that that um, defining moment was about the year 2000. And as I said, luckily we decided to continue on. Now, thinking back over some of the releases that came out, uh, especially under your time with the distillery, were there any releases that you were proudest of? Any 
favourites? Oh, look, I, I guess we have to say, and I, and I truly am proud of it. So, you know, those early releases where that Scottish bloke bought three bottles was yep. great. But then along the way, um, Barrel LD100, our 100th barrel, we entered in the World Whiskey Awards and won in 2008, I think it was, um, the best whiskey outside of Scotland and Ireland, the major whiskey producing areas. And that really put us on the map. And I remember being at a dinner in Scotland not long afterwards and the head judge of the World Whiskey Awards came up to me and introduced himself and he said, Bill, congratulations, you thoroughly deserve to win that award. He said, I was the head judge, we didn't know what we were looking at, we were looking at a lot of whiskies. And it went through five rounds, every round, all of the judges said, we don't know what this is, but it's going into the next round. Yeah. And so he said, you just thoroughly deserve to win. He said, what are you bastards doing in Tasmania? <laughs> How can you make such good whiskey, such big, rich oil? So for me, like that was, that was a huge compliment to mm. what we were doing here in Tasmania and for Lark. So um, that LD100, we've kept bottles of that. And that's what Chris Thompson has used all these years to... Um, and we're sitting here drinking classic cask, which is what that was. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've used that as our uh, whiskey for, for um, making sure when we create future releases of classic cask, yeah. it's similar or as close as we can get to what was LD100. Now, um, these days, even Ted and I, as self-proclaimed whiskey nerds, find it hard to keep up with all the new distilleries popping up in Tasmania. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think we're one day going to reach a saturation point? Do you think there's still room for expansion um, in Tasmania and Australia? That is a really good question, and a question that I get asked a lot. When will there be too many distilleries? Yeah. There are something like 80 distilleries in Tasmania. 43 of those make malt whiskey or whiskies of some sort. Is there too many? Uh, in terms of the volume we're producing, no. And if you, we've got big distilleries like Lark is now big, Sullivan's Cove, Hillier's Road, Callington Mill, Adams. Um, we've got some big distilleries coming online into the future. The amount they're producing, even if they produce to their maximum capability, will still only be three-fifths or five-eighths of bugger all of what the international market is. Um, and so provided we can enter that market and be sustainable in that market, then I don't think the volume scares me. The one thing that worries me a tiny little bit, and I wouldn't want to discourage anybody from starting a distillery, God, everybody knows I... I <laughs> everybody <laughs> that says, oh, how hard is it to start a distillery? Oh, it's a piece of pie. <laughs> um, the thing that does concern me a little bit is I'd hate to see it get to the day where it's a bit ho-hum, oh, another distillery. People might say, oh, it's just a bit like, you know, there's a corner store, a yeah. store on every corner or yeah. something. Yeah, nice. And I guess final question uh, from me is, what's next for Bill Lark? Are you ambassador for life? Or, um, yeah, what's the next step? It seems that way. <laughs> the reality is I love it. You know, like, yeah. I look back when I left school 150 years ago, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, oh, 40 years of work ahead of me. Oh, I can't wait till the day I retire. But it's funny, when you get to that stage where you probably could retire, you think to yourself, Ooh, especially if you're doing something you love, don't know that I want to retire. But I'm in a really fortunate position because as Lark has now got many competent people, marketing, production, sales, all of that. I don't have to worry myself at all about that. I can simply be their brand ambassador that eats and drinks and nods and talks and I can do all those things and I love it. So um, I can sort of, I guess I'm semi-retired. 
the question, you know, I've said a couple of times, oh, you don't need me anymore, um, I might go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the answer is generally, no, not yet, Bill. <laughs> so that's okay if I'm, if I'm needed um, and, and I'm loving doing it, and I certainly am. I, not only am I the brand ambassador for Lark, but unofficially I consider myself to be a bit of a brand ambassador for Tasmanian whisky and ultimately Australian whisky. Um, I think it's fantastic. So, yep, I'll just keep plodding along. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just one thing finally. So we're not going to ask you what's changed in the Tasmanian whisky industry because we'll be here for another hour or so. But in a nutshell, what's still the same? What is definitely still the same absolutely is the passion from each of these distillers. There's no question about that. And that's that's a vital part of the success of any distillery or the secret of any good whiskey is the passion from the person doing it. That hasn't changed. The other thing that hasn't changed, despite the fact that some of these distilleries are getting bigger, there is still an enormous amount of camaraderie amongst our distilling industry here in Tasmania and across Australia for that matter too. But those things haven't changed. If there's anything I can do to help the industry into the future is to try and make sure both of those things stay. Oh, mate, what an episode. Oh, I know, I know. It's just been so exciting to have Bill Lark here. Yeah, uh, I, I was so excited. I was absolutely buzzing on the drive on the way to Lark's the door. I was just like, get me there. I can't wait. Actually, that was probably I can the Heartwood, actually. Yeah. No, I was like, I can wait because I need a burrito. But after that, yeah. oh, gosh, gosh darn it. I cannot wait to see Bill and have a chat with him. And yeah, it, it was everything I wanted it to be, mm. albeit half an hour late, but it was great. Yeah, no, it was yeah. awesome. Well, to celebrate, um, I have actually got a little something-something for my colleague. A something-something? Uh, yeah, and for myself and for our Patreons as well. So I was down at Conzie's, and um, I saw a bottle that I thought was long since sold out. Yeah, right. But it wasn't. So what I'm seeing at the moment is a tube of ovarim, but yes. I have also been told earlier this evening that... The tube does not, in fact, contain ovarine, which no. it both intrigues me, but also brings me a slight bit of disappointment. Yeah, too. well, yeah, the disappointment won't last for too long. But yes, you're right. It's not ovarine. I just grabbed a, a tube that I could find that I'd definitely fit this bottle to obscure it from you. Um, but something that's something that you thought didn't exist anymore. It's Bailey Nickel Jarvie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, uh, we, we need some charcuterie to go with it. Indeed. I mean, I mean, it would be appropriate because Overeem has almost as many fonts as yeah. ba- Bailey Nickel Jarvie does. There are a lot of fonts. Yeah. No. Well, um, I'm actually getting another one which um, which has added extra fonts recently. Mm. This is uh, so this is the old label you're about to res- observe. Mm. So um. Time to reveal it? Yep. Pull well, it out for good me. Good news. Yeah, I'll whip it out just uh, <laughs> just for you, Teddy boy. Doesn't work so well on audio. This one is one of these bad boys. Oh! Oh! It's an old Ferno bottle. It's an old Ferno bottle with the words Smoky Wedding <gasps> written upon it. Yes! Um, so I've got a little bit of Smoky Wedding left in my collection, but not much. But now we have a whole new bottle and we're going to share this with our tasting panelists and drinking buddies this month. Nice. So, um, yeah, we figured this is one of our one of our favourite Tassie drops, mixed with um some Scottish peat and some Flinders peat muddled together. Um, we have got some Ferno Smoky Wedding, bottle number two hundred ninety of three hundred fifteen. So, what the boys at Ferno do with this one is they take some Scottish heavily pitted grain, 
and they also take their own Flinders Peel grain and they mix it all together and just mash it together and they make a whiskey out of that. Mm. And this is it. This is the results. And um, we've always liked it. It's um, it's its own thing, but it just it brings the world of Tassie Pete and Scottish Pete together. Ah, yeah. No, that's 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 a pretty good dram. Mm. Well, that I think concludes our big fiftieth lark heavy episode. Yeah, fifty episodes down. Gosh, Teddy boy, what are we going to be celebrating come episode one hundred? Mm, gosh. I mean, we've already talked to the Godfather. Who who do we talk to on our hundredth? Oh, I know. Maybe maybe we need to talk to like um, one of the guys that founded those uh, distilleries in the eighteen twenties. <laughs> I was going to say like Bill Lumsden or yeah. one of those guys. Maybe maybe get David Stewart out of retirement. Yeah, who knows? Um, we haven't done any interviews with anyone outside of Australia, so maybe maybe it's time that we did that. Yeah. Anyway, um, we've got so many ideas for the next fifty episodes. We cannot wait. To get waffling with you guys, thank you very much for tuning in for 50 episodes. It's been an absolute pleasure having you along for the ride. Yeah, it's it it's generally exciting to be able to do this. I mean, as we mentioned before, we've been hanging around each other uh, for a long time. Um, all our lives, in fact. Yes. <laughs> um, but to be able to sort of share this passion of ours with all you guys is, yeah, a real privilege for us, actually. Um, and, yeah, it, it means a lot to us that, you guys listen just recently i've had we've had a few random people like at the taz spirit showcase um had a few people just randomly come up and go like hey i listen to you guys i'm like oh my god like people actually just like yeah it's not no, just our mums yeah it's, it's not, not just, just our, our mums, mums. <laughs> it, and that that's like so weird and cool and exciting so yeah yeah thank thank you to everyone for yeah supporting us and the carrier pigeon um, basically just crapping on about whiskey <laughs> and that's where it begun and that's where it will continue and yeah making double entendres <laughs> yeah basically yeah that's, that's, uh, that's what our entire career is founded on whiskey yeah. and double entendres <laughs> that's it a few drinks and all of a sudden everything sounds dirty yep well we're going to wrap things up with a bit of a special treat now this is a taster of what you can get if you join up at faints level or above on the Patreon. Now, this we're, level we're, of silliness, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're releasing this one to everyone this time, but our Patreons actually get access to some sort of behind-the-scenes or other exclusive content, which we don't generally release on the main pod. So we recently competed in the Bernie Steadford <laughs> in the dance section. Yeah, less. because we're amazing dancers. Yeah, we didn't actually do much dancing. It was a bit of a weird... If we had more drinks to start with, we might yeah. have done more dancing. The, the the whole thing was a bit weird. But anyway... It was a great night because we got to hang out with um, Triple J celebrities. Yeah, so. Hobber and Hing. That was yeah. that was pretty cool. We might even see us on TV at some point. Yep, stay tuned for that yeah, one. Yeah, they, they, they'll probably cut us. <laughs> yeah, get rid of these guys. They yeah. weren't that interesting. Um, but we had fun. We had fun. But so... Nicholas, I, I will give the credit over to him because he was the one who put this together. Um, put together a skit for us to do. Well, it was recommended that we do something Monty Python. I was like, are you really in the dance section? Yeah. Um, and then I ran out of other ideas. I'm like, what, it, what happens if you combine whiskey and Monty Python? And so, here for you tonight, we have Whiskey Waffle Presents Whiskey Python. Hey. Welcome to Whiskey Waffle. As we know, whiskey is a stuffy old man's drink. 
with highly specific and arcane rules that must not be broken under any circumstances. I shall be conducting your tasting tonight. Number one, the appearance. No, 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 stop that. Stop that. That's far too serious, far too serious. Let's move things along and try and make it a bit more silly. All right, then. Hello, barkeep. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this whiskey what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh yes, the um, the, the, the Johnny Walker Blue. Um, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. No, no, no. The spirit is resting. It's not resting. It's completely empty. No, no, no. It's a, it's a very light-coloured whiskey. Remarkable dram, the Johnny Blue. Lovely aroma. The aroma don't enter into it. It's completely gone. No, no. It's probably just pining for the highlands. Pining for the islands? Pining for the islands? What kind of talk is that? Look, if this whiskey is full, then how come I can take the cork out and turn the bottle upside down? And nothing comes out. Uh, well, you see, I, what I had to do is I had to drop a cube of gelatin in it uh, beforehand because it's such a volatile whiskey, um, prone to evaporation. If I hadn't chucked that gelatin in it, then I won't swirl and vroom. Mate, this whiskey wouldn't vroom if you put four million volts through it. It's bleeding demised. No, no, it's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. This whiskey is no more. It, it has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its distiller. It's, it's no longer a stiff drink. Bereft of alcohol, it rests in peace. Its aromatic processes are now history. It's off the still. It's kicked the barrel. It's shuffled off this mortal coil and gone to join the bleeding angel share. This is an ex-whiskey. Well, I better replace it then, hadn't I? Glug, 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 glug. Oi, very possible this, very possible. Nothing like a good dram of Kilorman 18 year old, eh, Brusire? Aye, you're right, Brusire. Who'd have thought that a year ago we'd be sitting here drinking Kilorman 18? Aye, in those days we'd be happy for a glass of Johnny Red. A glass of gold Johnny Red. Without a single drop of water. Or whiskey. In a filthy cracked tumbler and tumbler? all. Tumbler? Tumbler? We never used to have tumbler. We used to have to drink out a rolled-up newspaper. The best we could manage was to suck in a bit of damp cloth. But, you know, we're happy in those days, though we were poor. Because we were poor. These days, I'm Professor of Philosophy at University of Willamaloo. No way! I'm Professor of Philosophy at the University of Gundagai. The name's Bruce. Also Bruce. Well, who are these Patreons then? Who are these? Let's ask him. Oh, oh yeah, we got Bruce. We got Bruce and Bruce too. Yeah, that Bruce. one's called Your Bruce, Bruce as well. well. Excellent. Bruce. Hold on. What? There's one here called T Trout. What? Look, look T Trout. Do you mind if we call you Bruce just to save confusion? Anyway, Bruce, what are the rules at this university of yours then, eh? Oh, same at yours, I'm sure, Bruce. Rule one: No, no bourbon. bourbon. Rule two: No member of the faculty is to mistreat the blended whiskey, at least when anyone's looking. Rule three, no, no bourbon. bourbon. Rule four, at this university, I don't want to catch anyone not drinking. Rule five, no, no bourbon. bourbon. Rule six, there is no rule six. Rule seven, no, no bourbon. bourbon. Rule eight, Lafroig is better than Lagavulin. What? Lafroig is better than Lagavulin. No, it isn't. 
Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it is not. No, 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 no the mighty Hellier's Road, with my best friend by my side. We drink, 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 drink. Oh, I'm a waffler and I'm okay. I drink all night and I talk all day. Where the wafflers and we're okay. We drink all night and we talk all day. I drink down drams, I eat kebabs, I go to the lavatory. On Wednesdays, I go to the bottle shop and have Glenfiddich with tea. We drink down drams, we eat kebabs, we go to the lavatory. On Wednesdays, we go to the bottle shop and have Glenfiddich with tea. Where the wafflers and we're okay, we drink all night and we talk all day. I drink down drams, I skip and jump, I like to play guitars. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. We drink down drams, we skip and jump, we like to play guitars. We put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. Where the wafflers and we're okay, we drink all night and we talk all day. I drink down drams, I wear high heels, suspenders and a bra. I wish I'd been a girlie just like my dear papa. We drink, drink down drams, we wear high heels, heels suspenders, and a bra. Uh, hold on. Dude. Yeah? Is there something you've been meaning to tell me? Ah. Yes. Um, and that is, um... Where the, the wafflers are, we're okay! Very nice. We drink we all night and we talk, talk all day. Hey! Whiskey Waffle recommends you drink whiskey responsibly and only if you're above the legal drinking age in your country. Our lawyers made us say that. Or at least, they would have if we actually had lawyers. The good news is, Ted, unlike Aris Ted for performance, I actually remember to take my guitar with me. <laughs> well, I got that whole uh, monologue right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to go off shamefaced. <laughs>